sex is meant to be something that is sacred and beautiful. And it's meant to be something that's always mutually beneficial. Um, it's never meant to be this selfish, one-sided act. When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Allison, your host of the Greek and Christian podcast, and we are back for another episode in our season, which is all about sex and relationships. Last week, we talked about hookup culture, and I had mentioned that we are going to be addressing sexual assault. And so this episode is going to look a little bit different than what we've done before. Uh, This is actually a replay that I've broken up into two parts for us, uh, where we talked about sexual assault back in season five. Uh, So sexual assault is a big issue on our campuses. I don't even know if I really need to tell you that. Uh, because you probably know someone who's been sexually assaulted or maybe you're, you yourself are a survivor of sexual assault. Uh, and so in this season on sex and relationships, we knew it was an important thing to address. And, you know, in college, when one in four women and one in 16 men experience sexual assault, we want to talk about where is God in that? What does God think of sexual assault How do we heal from sexual assault? Is there hope? And that's what part one is all about. So part one, we're dealing with kind of the spiritual aspects of sexual assault. And then we'll play part two in a couple of days, which are kind of the basics of how do you support a friend who's been sexually assaulted? How do you help them? How do you care for them? So as you listen to this episode, uh, I hope you hear uh, from God that he cares about this issue very much and that we as Christians should also care about sexual assault. All right. So Allison, (laughs) let me just say thank you though, for the way that you have spearheaded this within Greek university, we're a better organization for it. Mm. And in a, in a college ministry, especially, we know that sexual assault is especially prevalent during college years. Mm -hmm. It just makes so much sense that this would be something that we would um, spend a good amount of time and energy and getting better at knowing how Mm -hmm. to care for those who have been sexually assaulted, being able to prevent sexual assault where we can. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you. We're grateful for for your work in that. Uh, And excited to hear more about your story. So um, my guess is that it hasn't been always on your radar. So um, I'm curious to learn too, how did you become interested in the, the topic of sexual assault awareness, prevention? Did you have like a moment that made you more passionate about this than before? Yeah, I came on staff with Greek University right after I graduated. Um, that would have been, you know, in 2009, 2010. Um, and that's when like we first started like, seeing sexual assault conversations coming more into prominence. Um, But I think the real turning point for me, right, it's like a lot of times when an issue is an issue, but you don't have a personal connection with it, that's all that it is, right? It's an issue. Like I would say, you know, I cared about sexual assault and I thought it was wrong. 
you know, but I, I did not have a personal connection. I myself have not been sexually assaulted. Um, and like I said, we just didn't really talk about it in college. So I heard about sisters maybe getting sexually assaulted or somebody else who I didn't know. Um, but I'd never had someone come to me and say like, Allison, I was sexually assaulted. Um, and so it was my second year on staff with Greek IV that I had a student tell me that she had been sexually assaulted. Um, and I will always remember like, cause it was such a vivid memory for me is the first time someone had confided that kind of information to mm. me. Um, and so I'll always remember like what the room looked like, you know, where she was at in the room when she told me like all that kind of stuff. And it made such an impact because when she told me, I realized I really want to care for this person. I recognize that this is a crucial moment and what she's telling me is really secret. Um, mm. And I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, mm. I, yeah. you know, I think the Lord was with me in that moment. And I don't think I said anything stupid, <laughs> you mm. know, but at the same time, I realized like, wow, that this is now personal. This issue mm. that, you know, felt you know, impersonal to me, important, but not, you know, affecting my daily life is now, you know, it is affecting me personally because someone I deeply care about who I've been mentoring, um, has confided in me that they've been violated sexually. Yeah. Um, and so that really spurred me on into this experience of just, I don't want that to ever happen again. I don't want to get into a situation where someone tells me that they've been sexually assaulted and I don't know how to care for them. Like I said, I fortunately didn't say anything stupid, <laughs> but there is yeah. a, you can do that. I mean, we know this as humans, like when we have a situation where we're either uncomfortable or we're not prepared for, oh, yeah. yeah, sometimes we can just word vomit and say things we don't mean, you know, and it's not yeah. because we're jerks or we're bad people. It's just, yeah. It's out of our, you know, frame of reference. Yeah, it's question here, and you can you can pass on this. Yeah. Is, is this a good time to ask, like, what would be some of those things that you should yeah. absolutely not say yes. if someone were to? <laughs> well, like, I'll throw a couple out there. We'll yeah, talk please. about it later too. But like, you know, don't don't start asking them questions around what happened. Like that uh, could have yeah. easily been what happened because yep. I think sometimes when a friend tells us that they've been sexually assaulted or even like any kind of crime that happens against them, mm -hmm. well, because we're, we're curious, we're curious humans and we're trying to make sense in our brains mm -hmm. of how something so awful could happen to a friend. And so we will ask questions, well, like, where were you? Like, mm -hmm. what happened? Um, who was it? Uh, what were you doing? And while some of those can seem innocent, it's really just to stoke your own curiosity. You're actually re-traumatizing your friend mm. <laughs> because sexual assault is a deeply traumatic experience. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that, you know, throughout this episode, but that's just like first tip that knowing myself, I could have gone down that road because it's more out of my response of trying to logically make sense of what happened to my friend. Not, I'm not trying to accuse her of anything, but that's how it can be received by a survivor is like, are they doubting my story? Do they not believe me? And that's the number one reason why people don't share about sexual assault because they are afraid that they won't be believed. Um, and so that's just, Hey, rule of thumb, listen more than you speak ah, and so don't, good. Yes. Don't ask clarifying questions. Let your friends share what they want to share. Yeah. Um, but no, that's a great question, Mark. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get more into that. 
That's helpful. Um, I mean, that's that is counterintuitive in one way because yeah. a, a lot of times, you know, asking questions is a way that we show that we care about right. someone or something, um, and that makes a lot of sense. Why in this yep. case, that's that's not going to be how that's received. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And we'll get into that too of like, why isn't that helpful? What did I mean when I mm-hmm. said that sexual assault is tra- traumatic? But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I just left that. I mean, I prayed for her and by the grace of God, you know, like I did not mm-hmm. respond in a bad way, like poor way to what she had shared with me. Um, but through that, I mean, I stuck with her throughout her process um, and her and I, uh, just had conversa- open conversations about the reality of sexual assault on campus. So she is just this wickedly brilliant person. I'm keeping her anonymous because, yeah. you know, she has not shared publicly about her story. And that's sure. another important thing to, you know, keep things confidential when someone does share something like this with you. But um, she is just so intelligent. And so part of her healing journey um, was to start doing research on college sexual assault. And so I learned mm-hmm. with her. Um, and it was through learning through her, you know, that I learned about the prevalence and, you know, this information is out there. Probably our audience already knows it. they've heard it a million times, but you know, one in four women will experience sexual assault when during, during their time in college and one in 16 men. So it's, it's not just women who are survivors. There are men who are certainly sexually assaulted as well. And I hope that you feel seen in this podcast. Um, so it's just, it's so much more common than we think. And yeah, the fact that in your, if you're in a room of four people, four women, and one of them, one of them is most likely a survivor of sexual assault. Um, it's an issue that I think all of us as people who follow Jesus need to know, how do I care for people? How do I care for, you know, these people who have been hurt and violated in this way? And how do I be part of their healing journey and not a stumbling block? Yeah. So we've been using this term sexual assault yes. a number of times now. Um, and I am noticing, uh, just as I you know take the cultural temperature here, that the definition of sexual assault, I think it's changed since you know that uh, you know Greek 101 seminar that we sat through so many <laughs> years ago. I'd be curious to hear, do you have kind of a working definition of sexual yeah. assault? That'd be helpful for yeah, yeah, and it, it's Andy. interesting you say. I wonder if the definition has changed, and you know, I think the definition has been consistent, but the way we've added some things to it. So mm-hmm. I think I'll talk about the word consent. Um, you know, I think the way that we define consent has adjusted, mm-hmm. um, and we can get into why that is. But you know, really, sexual assault is any kind of non-consensual sexual content contact behavior um and okay and i'm just letting your audience know they probably won't care but you know if we have like a parent listening to this i don't know if many parents listen you know i'm gonna use uh, words like penis and vagina and it's not gonna be weird and so kids, <laughs> just as examples don't listen okay <laughs> mark We're is good. uh you know warning his kids <laughs> um but anyway it's just any kind of non-sexual or non-consensual sexual content so anywhere from groping to you know rape is a form of sexual assault so sexual assault is kind of the umbrella term for any non-consensual sexual content and you know this is what has changed is that consent can be defined differently by different states um you know if they're trying to prosecute it but basically you know if you like say no and someone still 
you know, touches you in a non, in a sexual way, that is not consenting. You can give consent and take it back. That's an important thing to note. Even if you're in a committed relationship, just because you're, you know, exclusive with someone or you're married doesn't mean that yeah. consent is a given. Um, and so that's, I think, a clear distinction. You know, actually like 90% of people know the person who sexually assaulted them. Um, so it's a, a really like false idea that it's just some stranger who's lurking in the woods, you know, who jumps yeah, out 90%. at you, which that does happen. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of, of people who are sexually assaulted, it's by someone that they know. Mm-hmm. Um, so as consent can be given, consent can be taken away. Um, and then also there are states of mind that prevent you from being able to consent. So if you are under the influence of any kind of drug, um, you're not able to consent. So if you are drunk, you can't consent. Um, so a lot of people will be like, oh, I was drinking. Like, you know, I feel uncomfortable about what happened, but I was drinking. It's like, no, you, you can't consent if you are drunk, if you're high, um, you know, if you're on Vicodin, crazy pain medication, you know, that has you unable to operate at your normal functioning. You can't consent. Um, There was something I was going to add to that. Oh, this is what I was going to say. When you think about date rape drugs, when you hear the term date rape drug, a lot of people throw in like, oh, GHB, Rohypnol, (laughs) roofies. Mm -hmm. But the number one date rape drug is alcohol. I mean, that's the most prevalent drug on campus. It's legal. Um, And so that is the drug that most people use, you know, to get someone into a place where they can have sex with them, you know, or sexually assault them um, because their inhibitions are lowered or they just really can't consent. Um, So that's sexual assault, right? Any non-consensual sexual content contact or behavior. So those are some definitions. I think sometimes what happens is people like think sexual assault is just rape, is automatically rape. And so you can inadvertently tell your friend like, oh, that wasn't sexual assault because you might incorrectly believe that only rape is sexual assault. And that's just not the case. Um, You know, or you can minimize your own experience as a survivor um, because you might think, well, if it's not rape, then, you know, it wasn't, it was fine. So, and you talked about the the workplace being one of those places, and I yeah. just wanted to name that like the church at large. And uh, I loved your remark about wanting to make uh, churches and ministries the safest mm-hmm. places that we can, and we just acknowledge that it's we're not there yet. We're not a hundred percent, and uh, and so it's it's a work yes. in progress. And um, and I'm glad that those resources exist because they they are used. Uh, so we're you know, talking about the ministry world a little bit already. How does your faith kind of connect with this passion that you have for being an advocate for sexual assault survivors? Yeah, I mean, I would say I, I grew up in a family that, um, you know, was very supportive of women. So hmm. I've always been someone, I mean, I am a woman. <laughs> so I would say like I grew up in with a pretty healthy sense of like, God sees me as a woman. You know, he created me as a woman. He loves me. He made me equal. Um, You know, he gave me a calling just like my brothers in Christ. And so I felt like growing up, I had this pretty healthy sense of my identity as a woman and and the way God sees me and empowers me. Um, And, you know, through my time in scripture, felt very uh, convicted or, you know, just 
I don't even know if convicted is really the right word, but encouraged that God sees women, um, that, and not just women, but the most vulnerable in society, um, and that he is the champion of the most vulnerable, um, mm. that he is someone who sees the most vulnerable and constantly throughout scripture is advocating for them and admonishing the communities uh, to care for the most vulnerable or the people who are oppressed. And so that was something I felt like was a theology that I grew up with and even a family value um, <laughs> as a woman. Um, and then I think, you know, this experience with the student and sexual assault coming to light, I mean, it made me go back through scripture and ask, well, how, what does God think of sexual assault? Um, and, you know, God has very clear boundaries around sex. Um, and sex is meant to be something that is sacred and beautiful. And it's meant to be something that's always mutually beneficial. Um, it's never meant to be this selfish, one-sided act. And when we see examples in scriptures of where sex is, is one-sided or selfish, the consequences are always awful <laughs> and mm. horrific. Um, but God intended sex to be mutually beneficial um, and serving. You are serving the other person. Um, and so there's one story in particular that I think I go back to a lot when I, when I think about survivors of sexual assault, because you can hear these messages um, in and around the church um, about sex, and it's often based on shame. And I think part of the reason for that is we always just, oh, just as humans, we get stuck in like, you know, the rule following. And sometimes we worship the rules over the person of Jesus. We talked about this on the Greek and Christian podcast that we follow, we don't follow a set of principles. We follow a person and that person does have principles. Jesus has principles and boundaries because they're good for us. But when we start worshiping the rules, um, then we get into real trouble. Um, and so especially for our audience who maybe has been around church experiences where they hear a lot of shame around sex, like, you know, if you had sex outside of marriage, you're permanently damaged. Like, I just want to say, I think I said this on the last episode, Mark, that's trash. That's not true. Like right. sex is not sex in it's in the not proper context is not an unforgivable sin right. or violation. There is no sin that God will ever look at and say, you're too far gone. Um, and so I think because we hear that messaging, a lot of times in the church, we can get this sense of like, well, God looks at me with shame. You know, if I am not this vision of perfect purity that I heard about sex growing up, then God must look at me with just disgust. And that's not true. I want mm. our audience to hear that. And so there's one story in particular that I go back to that I think is a really beautiful example of that. Um, mm. And it's the story of Hagar and Genesis 16. Huh. And right. so um, we have our guy, Abraham. God has promised him and his wife, and they're really old. They're like in their 90s. God promised Abraham, hey, if you leave your land and set out for the land I've promised you, I'll give you tons of descendants. Like, I'll make up for all the family that you're leaving behind. And, you know, he's like, oh, that's crazy. I'm 90 and my wife is, is barren. We don't have any kids. And even his wife, like, laughs. And then, you know, it's just like, what? You're crazy, God. But then they decide, no, okay, we should trust God that God's actually going to do this, that he's going to give us descendants. Well, their trust definitely broke down many times in God. And Sarah and Abraham 
um, went about a lot of different ways to try to, to fast track this promise of God. Um, and so one of those Always ways they did, huh? Always a good idea. Well, yeah, yeah. It's to, not you know, like try we to ever fast track that, the right? Never, nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Right, but I mean, it, it makes a good point is that we all have breakdowns in our trust of God that he has good for us, that he'll follow through on his promises. Um, and so they, as part of, you know, their encampment of traveling to the promised land where God wanted to, them to be, um, they had servants and slaves um, who were with them. And so one of their slaves uh, was named Hagar. Um, so we're already talking about someone who is a vulnerable person in the society, someone who is enslaved um, and a woman. And so Abraham basically, or Sarah, I'm sorry, Sarah, Abraham's wife is like, hey, you know, just get Hagar pregnant and her baby will be my baby and it'll be our descent. Like that's literally something they did in that culture was any babies that you had through concubines or slaves would just be considered part of your household, you know, if you had a barren spouse. So anyway, that's what Abraham does. He sleeps with Hagar and gets her pregnant. And honestly, if you're someone's slave, you cannot consent. Like that's, that's right there. That's non-consensual sexual contact right there. She really did not have a choice. Um, and Hagar gets pregnant. And what happens, it's just awful. Um, Sarah all of a sudden decides like, nope, I don't want this. I'm really jealous. And she kicks Hagar out of their community. Um, and so Hagar is left basically on the side of the road, not part of the household anymore. She's pregnant. She has not nowhere to go, completely destitute. And God meets her on that road. He comes to her and he tells her that he sees her and that he's going to take care of her um, and that he's going to ensure that her descendants are numerous and blessed. Um, and Hagar praises him and she says, you're the God who sees. She gives God a name. Um, one of his names is Elroy, and that means the God who sees. Um, and so it's this beautiful moment of God coming to this woman who has been sexually violated, um, has been cast out of her community, has nothing. Um, and he sees her and he promises to bless her. And he does indeed do that, um, if you read further on. So I think that's just a beautiful story of God coming in and writing a really horrific mm. wrong. You know, God is someone who does care about the hurt and pain that happens to us. And he didn't look at Hagar and say, well, Hagar, you shouldn't have gone to Abraham's tent when Sarah told you to. Like, he doesn't pull that. He doesn't victim blame. You know, he just simply meets her and says, that was wrong. I see you and I will bless you and I will make what was wrong into what is right for you. Hmm. Man, that's uh, amazing. Good, good story to bring out. I mean, that's like 4,000 years ago, right? And yeah. maybe there are a couple of cultural elements that don't yes. quite translate, right? And yet the heart of that story just sounds like, wow, I wonder how many people feel that, you know? Uh, yeah, right. And even you listening right now, that might be your part of your story of feeling like, man, I lost my community or I lost you know, mm -hmm. this this thing that I hold sacred of my sexual purity or whatever. And, right. and, and to hear that like the conclusion of that is not like, well, and that's why you shouldn't, you know, be a Christian or follow Jesus. No, it's like, yeah, right. this is the God who sees. This is the God yes. who sees and, and, and not from afar, but like enters into that story right there. Yes. That's good. 
Thanks, yeah, Allison. and it's not an isolated example, right? That's one right. story I'm telling, but I mean, all throughout scripture, God is very clear about how he sees, you know, those who are oppressed, those who are brokenhearted, those who've been wronged. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very clear that, you know, he, he will restore those who have been violated and that nothing is too broken or violated for him. Uh, to heal and restore, um, and that he also promises to bring justice, even if we don't experience justice in our world um, through the methods that we have. He is a God who promises uh, to make the things that have been done wrong to us right yeah. again. That's good. Hmm. While we're like on this topic here, are there any other words that you'd want to give to our listeners who are survivors of sexual assault, words of hope, encouragement? Yeah, um, I think you just need to hear this from someone who loves Jesus and follows Jesus, that it's not your fault and that you didn't do anything to deserve what happened to you. I don't know your circumstances and I don't need to know the details surrounding your assault. If that's healing for you to share it with someone, then share it. But, you know, if someone violated you without your consent, that's not your fault. Um, and you did nothing to deserve it or bring it upon yourself. And like I said before, God is El Roy. He sees you, he hurts with you, and he sits in all those crazy emotions with you that you might be feeling. Some days you might be feeling numb and that's okay. And God is with you in that place. Maybe some days you feel great, you know, and you're happy and you feel a little bit guilty because, oh my gosh, this traumatic thing happened to me. How can I be happy today? And, you know, God is with you in that as well. He brings you joy throughout the healing process. Um, but when you're sitting in that space of anger um, or despair or depression, God is there as well. There isn't an emotional state that God divorces himself from you. He's with you in all of that. Um, and so I just want you to hear as a Christian, those two things um, that God sees you. It's not your fault. You didn't deserve this. Um, and that God is not looking at you with disgust or shame, but he's looking at you with love um, and hurting with you. Um, And then, you know, I do want to say this to someone who is a survivor. You're not alone. It might be really easy for you to think that you are, um, but you're not. Uh, Like I said before, one in four women and one in 16 men have experienced sexual assault while they're in college. One in six men over a lifetime have experienced sexual assault. So for men who are listening to this, you are not alone, even if you feel alone. Um, And for female survivors, you're not alone and you don't have to do it alone. I think think this can be American culture as well, that we just have to, we feel like we have to do it on our own. And I think Greek culture even teaches us that fraternity story life of like, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, struggle through it alone. But we need community. We need trusted individuals to walk with us and Jesus through this healing process. And so I really encourage you, if you have not told anybody to tell a trusted friend, um, or if you don't know if you can trust your friends, you, there is RAIN, which is the leading nonprofit uh, for survivors of sexual assault and rape. And they have a crisis hotline. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's 1-800-656-HOPE. 1-800-656-HOPE, you can call them. Um, or 
most likely at any college campus, you will have a local place that might be called the Rape Recovery Center, the Sexual Assault Crisis Center. You can visit them and talk to someone anonymously. You don't have to file a police report. You don't have to file a university report. If you go to one of these nonprofits um, that is not connected with your campus. So I just want to encourage you, maybe even today you're hearing this and you haven't told anybody. Um, and I think that's one of your first steps in healing is to tell someone, either a trusted adult, a trusted friend, um, or to call the, the crisis hotline. Um, and you deserve to make healing your number one priority. You deserve to be restored, right? God doesn't want to leave you in this place of being violated, um, that he does want to offer you real healing and that this doesn't have to define you for your whole life. It'll be part of your story. And um, it'll be something that, you know, God will use um, to bring more of his grace and healing into your life. But it does not have to be something um, that defines you. Um, and so I really encourage you, go, go prioritize taking care of yourself. That starts with talking to a trusted friend. Um, and it starts just by even talking to God about it and saying, God, you know, I need to tell you that this happened to me. Um, so those are some quick things. We'll put some stuff in the show notes too. Um, because we are a community of Greek InterVarsity and you're listening to this, you're also welcome to reach out to me on Instagram. If you just are like, okay, I'm hearing this person. They sound like they could connect me with resources. I don't know who I have locally and I can help you connect with stuff locally too. So you can find me on Instagram, Allison Marie nine. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, that's, I think, is some of the words I would say to a survivor. Yeah, uh, that's so helpful. Thanks, Allison. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. So we're going to take a short break here. Um, for some of you, just permission to like push pause. And you might be feeling a lot of feels, especially if you are a survivor. This is part of your story. And I just want to give you permission to step away for a moment and process, journal, talk to somebody, um, whatever you might need to do. And we'll pick back up after the break. 